Our scripture this morning comes from Joshua 2, 1 through 21, and Hebrews eleven thirty one. Now from Joshua. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax. And she said that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that, you, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard now the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down uh, by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into, your land, into, into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out to the doors of your house, into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the, in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. We're looking in this Advent season at the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew chapter one, 
because we find here more incredible stories than we would possibly have some days to talk about. But we are looking particularly at the theme of brokenness. Uh, disappointment with God, that's the overarching theme. Last week we looked at broken promises, two of the magisterial figures. This opens, as we'll see in a moment, with Jesus called Son of David, Son of Abraham. And we looked at those two great figures from the Old Testament, but we saw how often in their lives they felt as though they were walking in obedience to the Lord and he wasn't fulfilling his promises to them. And we're even told in some verses that we read from Hebrews 11 last week that all these promises were not realized by many of the people to whom God made them because God had something better in store for them that we together should experience the reality and the fullness of it. We come this morning to my favorite group of people in this genealogy. It, they have been called by one woman who wrote a book about them, the bad girls of the Bible. Um, these women uh, were not the bad girls of the Bible. They were extraordinary women, extraordinarily broken. There are five of them in this genealogy, as we'll see. And the reason it's so remarkable is that ancient genealogies never included women's names unless they were so well known and their stories were so crucial to an understanding of the largest narrative that they had to be listed. And that's the case with these five women. So we're not going to read the entire genealogy again, but I'm going to read the first six verses and then jump down to remind us of Jesus' mother. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, here we go, by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And then verse 16 Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. The gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. These five names, we're not going to look at all five this morning. We will save Mary, and it's totally understandable to everybody why Mary's name would be there. She was, after all, his mother, key part of the gospel story, will save her for the fourth Sunday in Advent and just look at Mary's story then. And at the trouble with God's favor, and I'll only say now as a preview, girls were usually betrothed at about 14 years of age. So this is just a kid. And she's been dreaming of being happily married. Her parents have apparently made a good match with this fine man, Joseph, a carpenter. And she's looking forward to the day that she marries him and fully joins in as a woman in Israel. And she, as a religious Jewish girl, is praying for 
the Messiah to be sent for God to send his Redeemer. And then the trouble starts for her because an angel appears and tells her that she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this 14-year-old girl has to go to her parents and say, I am pregnant, but not to worry. The Father is God. I mean, just let that sink for the next few weeks. That was the burden placed on this young woman, the trouble with God's favor. So her brokenness came in a different way than that of these other women. We looked last week at Bathsheba, and I won't again go there except to emphasize, as one of our women reminded me after the sermon last Sunday, that it's very interesting that she isn't named, that he doesn't say, and David by Bathsheba, and she was right on when she said, I think the reason is that God wanted everybody to keep remembering that this was not David's wife, that he had taken her. And it wasn't a seduction. This was, he, he was the king, and all three men in her family, her grandfather, her father, and her husband worked for David. Her grandfather was his chief advisor. Her father and her husband were in the bodyguard that, that protected him in battle. He had total control over her life and their lives. And he took her and then had her husband killed to cover up his sin. And she not only had to bear his child, she had to then join his harem and be one of his wives, the man who had destroyed her family. So you think about her, and yet God brought his Messiah through her. He brought redemption through her. I want us this morning really to focus on the second in the list, on Rahab the harlot, because she is the most remarkable to me. And because in all honesty, not meaning to offend anyone, but I think the more deeply we come to know ourselves in the light of God's awesome holiness, the more we realize that like Rahab, we are all prostitutes plying our trade in a city doomed to destruction. And it is only God's grace that is able to rescue us. So we're going to concentrate on her, but I don't want to let the other two go unmentioned. I want to just briefly outline their stories. And the first, of course, is it takes us all the way back into Genesis 38, a break in the story of Joseph. Joseph has been sold by his brothers down into Egypt. And then while time passes there, chapter 38 in Genesis takes a little break and gives us a picture of the kind of, of sin going on uh, with the, really, the primo guy in the family, Judah, who was of the kingly line. All the kings would come from Judah. And so he had been the one whom his father most favored after Joseph was gone. And he went, we're told, he went into a Canaanite woman. She bore him his three sons, uh, Er, Onan, and uh, Sheba, or Sheila. And uh, he got a, a wife for, uh, for the eldest son. And 
We just read that he was so wicked that God killed him. And so Judah said to his second son, heir, you need to do what we do, which is in the ancient world, if a woman died, I'm sorry, if a woman's husband died and they didn't yet have children, his nearest of kin was to go into her and sleep with her so that she could have a child and then through that child have inheritance because without a child, she was destitute. She was without protection. She could not inherit. So we read that Onan went in, but Onan didn't want to run the risk of losing his own inheritance. And so he would go in and take his pleasure, but uh, the language of the Bible is fairly chaste. He would make certain that she didn't get pregnant by him. And so this went on for a little bit, and we read that God was angry with him and killed him. So now Judah goes, two of my three sons have died, and the only common denominator here is this woman. And so I'm going to put her away, tell her to go home, and that I'll give her the youngest when he gets old enough. And uh, you know the story. Of course, he had no intention. And after a good bit of time passes and she realizes that she is not going to be able to have this third son and be able to join the ranks of Israel, she hears that her father-in-law Judah is going to shear sheep. His wife, meanwhile, the mother of his sons has died. He's going to shear sheep with his uh, good buddy, Adullam, and she knows him. She knows what he and Adullam are up to when they go off to shear sheep. And so she takes off the, this is Tamar, by the way. (laughs) Tamar takes off her widow's clothes and dresses as a prostitute and puts on the veil that prostitutes wore and knows the path that Judah's gonna take and she goes and sits in the gate and waits as he passes by and he sees her and says, excuse me, guys, you go on. I've got business here. He goes in, and she says, what will you give me? He says, what do you want? She said, well, give me one of your goats. She knows he doesn't have one with her. So he he says, I don't have one. I'll send one back. She says, well, then leave me tokens to let me know. What do you want? I'll take your ring, your signet, and your braid, and your staff, the emblems that show who he is. And then she sleeps with him, and he goes on. And when he sends back the goat to get his stuff back, they say, we don't know what you're talking about. There's no prostitute here. And so finally he says, let her keep it. I don't want to be a laughing stock. Three months later, Judah, this patriarch, gets word that your daughter-in-law has been immoral and is pregnant by her immorality. And this is what he's been waiting for. And he says, bring her out and burn her to death. And so as they're bringing her out to burn her, she says, tell Judah that I am pregnant by the man who owns this signet, this staff, and this cord. And when Judah sees and realizes what has happened, He said, she's more righteous than I because I didn't do what I promised. Let her her be. And she had twins. And one of them 
became a descendant, I'm sorry, a predecessor of David. From that awful circumstance, the one whom we are celebrating as our Lord and our King and our Savior came into the world. Don't fail to grasp that out of that whole horror and ugliness. God was bringing redemption, not just to to us, but to this cosmos. The other, quickly, Ruth, that came after Rahab, has a a little book that just tells her story. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, Naomi was a, a woman from Bethlehem, and she and her husband, during a famine, moved to Moab so that they'd have food. And there, their two boys married two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpha. By the way, this is just a side note, interesting cultural note. Uh, I once heard Oprah ask, where did your parents get your name? And she started laughing, and she said they misspelled it. It was supposed to be Orpah from the story of Naomi, but they got the letters turned around, so I'm Oprah. But anyway, Orpah and Ruth uh, married the two sons. Well, then Naomi's husband died. She was a widow. Then her boys died. And then she heard that there was now, that the famine was over in Israel, she could go home. She said to her daughters-in-law, you've been so good to me, but I'm old, I'm not gonna have any more sons, I don't have anything to do for you, I'm impoverished, I've gotta go back, just, I, I don't have anything, go to your father's homes and thank you. And they wept, and Orpah went home. But Ruth said in those words, those beautiful words that uh, many of us have heard quoted or sung at wedding, services, entreat me not to leave you. Uh, you know, let me, let me stay with you. Let me go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, there I will die. This beautiful giving of herself. I love you. Don't send me back. I'm going with you. So they go back. And, and all of Bethlehem is buzzing over the return of Naomi after all these years, and this wonderful young woman who has come with her and chosen to take care of her. And so Naomi says, we don't have anything. You've got to go out into the fields to glean. As the harvesters moved through the field, they would leave a little bit on the edges so that the poor who came behind could glean, pick up, and have something to eat. And maybe if they gleaned well, have a little more. Well, Boaz is riding through his field, and he sees this beautiful young woman, and he says, who is this gleaning in my field? And they said, oh, that's Naomi's, the, Naomi's daughter-in-law, the one you've heard about. He said, pull out extra, leave it for her. You know, he goes to her and says, don't glean in anybody else's field where you could be abused. You stay here. I've told my men not to touch you. You know, we'll take care of you. You can join them for lunch. And so she goes home, and Naomi says, this is wonderful because Boaz is a near kinsman. This is what you need to do. At harvest time, after the men have been eating and drinking, he's gonna go down to the barn to sleep it off. And you dress up, she said, bathe, dress up, and go down and uncover his feet and just sleep there. And when he wakes, he'll tell you what to do. And he's startled in the middle of the night, wakes up, there's this beautiful young woman there. And he says, thank you, she says, you know, basically, 
here I am, you're my kinsman. And he said, thank you for not going after younger men. Thank you for this goodness you've done to me. But there is one kinsman nearer. And so in the morning, I will go and find out if he wants to redeem you. If not, I will. And as you know, they marry. They have, she has twins. And uh, one of them is, well, she's David's great-grandmother, Ruth. I mean, these incredible stories that to us are, isn't it incredible it happened like that, that God in his sovereign purposes was orchestrating in order to bring salvation to the world. If you and I had been living in the midst of it, we would have said, where is God? This is a disaster. But now, very quickly, my favorite story in all of these. And it's my favorite story for a number of reasons. One is that Rahab the prostitute is one of only two women listed in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great roll call of faith. It lists the people in the old covenant who pleased God by living and walking by faith. In fact, in the beginning of chapter 12, when he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about these people, including Rahab. Just Sarah, Abram's wife, and Rahab are the only two women in the 11th chapter. The second reason I love this so much is any of you who think that all you should spend your time doing is reading the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament in all of its riches without spending just as much time reading the Old Testament. Why? Because if you remember when Brian read us that, that line from Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with the city. Why? What's the reason? Imagine not having read the story in the Old Testament that Brian read us, knowing nothing about her. She's a prostitute. What, she was, what was the mark of her faith? And all the author of Hebrews tells us is because she gave the spies a friendly welcome. Well, I mean, isn't that what prostitutes do? I mean, you know, what, what's so unusual about giving somebody who comes to your house of ill repute a friendly welcome. But anytime you read in the New Testament the names of people from the Old Testament, as I've said before, treat it the way that you would treat a computer link. The intent is for you to touch it and go back to the whole story in the Old Testament. And then we see the depth of meaning in this phrase, she gave them a friendly welcome. And we know the, the potential cost to her. So her story. We don't know how old she was. We don't know why she was a prostitute. I think it may well have been because for some reason, the support and care for her entire family had fallen on her shoulders. Because when she talks to the spies, that's her big concern. It's not just for herself. She's saying, promise me that my family will be spared. So I think she had had to take care of everybody and this was the only way in that city where she could support her family. And she had heard the stories from childhood of this group of people from Canaan who had gone down into Egypt during a famine and had grown into a mighty number of people but had been enslaved by the, by the Egyptians and used by them to 
build their pyramids and all the rest, but whose God was more powerful than the Egyptians, whose God had brought them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and had, when the Egyptians tried to resist, had put plagues on the Egyptians, so at last they begged them to leave, and then when the Egyptians changed their minds and chased after them, God had destroyed the armies of, of Pharaoh. They'd known those stories. Those had swept through the ancient Middle East. And this million strong people are out there just beyond that river and over those mountains wandering around year after year. But they know that the day that they want to come home, they've got a cross at the fords in the Jordan, which walked you across the Jordan and straight into Jericho. Jericho was the first stop. And so they are counting on their tall walls and fortifications to keep them safe. But you know that as the story goes that they're coming closer and closer and have just defeated two of the most powerful kings just over those hills, Sion and Og. They've utterly destroyed them and now they're coming. And they begin to see this incredible multitude. Imagine the word that was out. You know, whatever you do, guard the gates. Don't let anyone in that doesn't belong in here. We're going to get ready for a siege. Gather your goods. But she had made a decision. She had decided that their God must be the real God because all the other gods are powerless before him. And these people know what it is to be slaves, to be treated like prostitutes. They've got that whole legacy and their God is willing to take broken people like that and free them and make of them a mighty people. That's the God I want to serve. And if I have an opportunity, I'm going to align myself with them. And sure enough, by God's grace, you know, if you're a spy and you're looking for a place to go where nobody's going to make a big deal about it, you just find, you know, say, that, we'll go to the inn over there. There's a prostitute there and nobody will even question. So they go in to hide there and to try to, and you know, Brian read the story to us. She says, look, I'm gonna hide you and I'm gonna lie for you and I'm gonna cover for you, but you've got to do this for me. You've got to make me this promise. And isn't it beautiful that they say, take this, take this scarlet cord. That may have been originally a scarlet cord that marked out her house. I don't know. But they make it a redemptive thing. They say, you hang this scarlet cord from your window and make sure your whole family is within there. It's like the Passover, isn't it? The blood on the lentil, your family within. And then when we pass through, if, if they're inside, and that scarlet cord started in Genesis 3.15 and goes all the way through the cross and your life and mine, all the way to redemption. That's the story of redemption. It's the, it's the scarlet cord that this prostitute hangs out of her window. And so she does it. They come in, they take the city, and the rest of the city is destroyed, but not... Rahab and her family. And what is incredible is that she marries into the royal line. 
She had judged that people rightly, and she had judged their God aright, and she had cast herself upon his grace and theirs. And she marries into the royal line. And of course, you know, who's, who's her child? Boaz, who married Ruth. So the incredible way that God worked. What, what are all these marvelous stories about? What point am I trying to make to? And the first is that I don't care who you are or what you've done. If you think that you have sinned too greatly or your life is too broken to be great, not just to be saved, forgiven, but to be greatly used by God, then you are vastly overselling your sin and vastly underselling the majesty of God's grace and his delight in taking broken things and using them for his glory. You aren't too broken. You aren't too lacking in gifts. You aren't too young. You aren't too old. We've got them all here in Jesus' family tree. And what he wants from you and me is the same. He wants to come into our world through us. He wants in Phillips Brooks' beautiful old Christmas hymn to be born in us. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear him coming. But in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And all that they did was cast themselves upon his grace. That's all they did. Sometimes at great cost. I mean, if that king had found out, Rahab would have been doomed for her. But he couldn't find out. Because she was already, in God's purposes, one of those through whom he was going to bring salvation to this world. And he wants to keep doing it through you and through me, if only we will cast ourselves upon his grace. And that's what this meal is about. That's why I always invite you to come, not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not because you're good, but because you're in need of God's goodness and grace. Come because you love the Lord a little and you long to love him more. Come because he loves you. And he gave himself for you.